Welcome to the Dynasty Movement Podcast. I'm Gosev Jr., your host for this episode. Find a link to join the movement on our Twitter at Dynasty underscore Discord. You can find me on Twitter at Eric underscore DRZ and in this Discord as Ghosts of June. If you like the episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to your podcast on. So just to get this started a little bit, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what you'd see as is like your little niche in the, in fantasy football and where we might find your work? Sure. So I came up with the analytics side mainly. Uh, I was a football outsider um, in 2011. So that kind of dates me a little bit here. Um, as far as fantasy goes, I, you know, I, I do some stuff for Athlon Magazine. Uh, I'm kind of more on the fringes of this, of this rather than like having it as a main part of my brand. Um, I've been really attached to the Texans for a long time as far as that goes. And uh, the AFC South in general, I would say as well, because uh, <laughs> I did that for Bleacher Report in 2014. I just covered the entire division. And nice. I tend to get a lot of, uh, let's put it that way. Very cool. Very cool. I didn't, I didn't know you went that far back with uh, outsiders. That is, that definitely has you as one of the OGs. That's pretty cool. So first of all, just to break the ice a little bit here, give me your best sales pitch. If you were to pitch to somebody why they should try final fantasy four, what would be the sales pitch that you would give? <laughs> the sales pitch for final fantasy four. Um, the sales pitch would be, that there are so many uh, remakes of Final Fantasy IV that you can't avoid it anyway. It's going to be on the system that you're playing, so you might as well get used to it. It's going to absorb into your life. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I I grew up, uh, the first two video games that I played, and this will date me a little bit, that were on my parents, like, ooh, this could be an evil game list, were Final Fantasy IV and VI. You know, I grew up in a pretty uh, conservative household, so those are my, my uh, hidden games that, I, that I've played and cut my teeth on so I'm a huge fan of that uh that genre as a whole last final fantasy related question then we'll cut into the fantasy football questions give me your top three final fantasy games obviously four is is high on the list is is that your top one what are the other two yeah four is number one because of the nostalgia and this is a game where you know I kind of grew up playing this on days where streets were flooded and I couldn't go to school or like, you know, I remember renting this from Blockbuster like 10 times and finally finding it at some local Toys R Us or whatever. Um, so, so that's number one for me. Number two would probably be Final Fantasy IX, which I have a story where I got Final Fantasy IX and I made a bet with a friend who had finished the game first and I played for 58 straight hours to actually beat it. Nice. Did you, did you um, win that, that race comfortably then? I won the race, yes. <laughs> and then number three probably be six. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. All right, so we and we might double back to some Final Fantasy questions later on, but uh, let's go to just overall. What's your earliest fantasy football memory? Earliest fantasy football memories uh, come from the '98 draft. 
I remember getting into some leagues. And at the time, you know, you're, I was, gosh, 13. Like, you know, I, I, I thought that I was smarter than everybody, obviously. And, you know, at the time, you don't know who you're playing against. It's 98 internet, you know. It's, right. It's just whoever's, whoever's there. But I remember, you know, getting my head and my hands on, because uh, I was a fantasy baseball player first uh, and then kind of converted over. But I got my hands on Edron James in his rookie year. Oh wow! I remember just thinking, man, these guys are dumb. I'm just gonna pick rookies all the time, and that didn't always work. <laughs> but, that would have uh, been that would have been redraft, right? Pre dynasty, but you're getting that guy probably a lot later in the draft, and he turns out like first, second round production, right? Yeah, I think I got him in like the third or fourth round that year. And, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's just some random Yahoo league or, or whatever. So. Not really meaningful, but but that's just what I always think of first when I think of fantasy football. Oh dang, I got some old Yahoo League memories of punters and stuff like that in those leagues. <laughs> those were crazy. Um, so a bunch of us were intrigued by the the Jack Easterby uh, VOD bullet that was in your interests. So I think you need to explain that one to us and, and why why you're so interested in that. I don't know that I'm interested in it so much as it's kind of what people have become know me for. Cause like there's been this whole flood of, you know, the Jack Easterby comedy tour circuit stuff where it drags up uh, a bunch of his past. And, and I guess kind of the way to say it is Jack Easterby, as somebody who covers the text, and Jack Easterby hasn't done an interview with anybody on camera, media, even just like written you know, to, to some source guy until, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't talked to us for 10 months now, <laughs> but like all this, all this stuff has gone down. And so all we've had to do is like, what can we do? We can't talk to him, but we can dig up bods. And so I, I dug up a bunch of these preaching bods and became kind of known for that. And uh, I have some, some deep meanderings on, on what they mean for the Texans and uh, how they impacted the decisions made right now and yeah it's a rabbit hole i wouldn't recommend <laughs> so, so would you say that maybe the best chance of getting him on uh recording would be to like infiltrate a prayer meeting or a bible study at this point yeah to like to like bug the, the entire meeting room or whatever um you know you can talk to people who've talked to him it's it's not difficult to get his thoughts if you really wanted to but to get him actually on camera saying something is wildly rare yeah that makes sense it, uh, there's a lot of uh criticism of insularity I, I have definitely heard especially lately so that's gonna i think lead into another question that obviously we're gonna i'm gonna throw a bunch of the texans ones at you first um then we can go into more general ones but uh just your own take uh will deshaun watson ever play for the texans again Maybe. <laughs> uh, I think it really depends on how the investigation goes down because as things stand right now, it's it sounds pretty bad, but you know, like it's been a couple of months since anything really broke through, progressed, anything like that. Uh, they're gonna go to trial in February, I think. So it's hard to see how, how that winds up him, with him playing this season unless he doesn't get suspended and you know, he needs to, uh, what is it called? Toll the contract? Yeah, toll the, toll the contract. Uh, it's hard to see him getting on the field this year. Um, but 
I mean, as, as far as the future goes, <laughs> again, it's really hard to say. This organization has gone through so much change in the past 16 months that it's unfathomable. And I'm not ruling anything out, but obviously I think the, 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 the money should be on him not playing with the Texans again. Good deal. That's kind of where I thought you were leaning there. Um, so assuming that he doesn't play again, how do you see the Texans quarterback situation shaking out th- this year and beyond? Um, depressingly. <laughs> uh, right now, the way that it's been, it's been sold to fans and uh, kind of through the media, the, the kind of drumbeat is competition. Competition in every position. The best player is going to play all the time. And obviously, Davis Mills being the the rookie in the room, I think that kind of leans toward uh, Tyrod Taylor getting more of the snaps for the first 10, 11 games. What I can't understand right now from where I'm at is if that means that they're going to ignore the rookie the last year when they had the lowest snap percentage in the NFL, or if that means that they're going to transition at some point in the season if it's a lost cause and, and go to uh, Mills and see what he has, what he's got. Either way, I kind of feel like it's going to be whoever they draft in 2022 is going to be the starter. Um, but for, for, for the short term, I think that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, considering they did use a third on Mills, I think it'd be uh well, I guess, you know, poor organizational behavior, I guess is Texans, but it would be a bad idea to not at least, kick the tires a bit this year and see if you uh, somehow hit something there. Yeah. It would be a really bad idea to just, to just like let it linger. But these guys, I don't know if you've noticed, they have a lot of bad ideas, like a remarkable, unsatiable well of bad ideas where we don't know. uh, (laughs) We we don't know how any of the young players on the roster can play because we have to watch David Johnson for four more games to end the 2020 season, or we have to watch Vernon Hargraves play cornerback. So don't put it past them. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, leading on that David Johnson thing. Um, the, I mean, the Texans are talking about the competition at quarterback, but it seems like they're more interested in getting competition at the running back position. What What's going on there? Why do the Texans want to have 10 running backs? Well, they believe that competition makes you better. And best I can tell from all their press statements, this is like a, a deeply held Easter Bee belief. Um, I don't know that I agree with it. Um, I, I think that if you read between the lines that uh, somebody's somebody of those four veteran guys isn't going to make the roster, um, Buddy Howell's been a pretty reliable special teams back, so I think he'll take a fourth spot or a third spot if they don't want to carry uh, four. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you read between the lines, it's pretty clear that they want that David Johnson, uh, DeAndre Hopkins trade to pay off in the stupidest, smallest way possible if they can. And he's going to get every opportunity to be that guy uh, with either Lindsey or Ingram's kind of spelling uh, Johnson in, inside the red zone. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's, a, it's kind of like... Um... Like when the Bears took Trubisky, there was this mentality that they were going to give him every chance to succeed just because they drew a lot of heat for the move. Like a lot of people thought it was a bad move. And I think in that case, there's a little bit of take lock that's going on here. Uh, So I'm going to just transition that right away to 
What would if somebody were to ask you what is your number one takeaway about the Texans org, having covered them, been a beat writer for them, what would you say is the number one takeaway? Number one takeaway from covering the Texans for like 10 years would be that ownership really, really matters. <laughs> um, right now, they've got a situation where Jack Easterby is in charge only because their owner pretty much anything as far as social cues, as far as the outside world, he's been kind of sheltered for a long time. And, you know, if you have an owner that uh, is willing to pay, that's cool, but he's got to pay for the right things. And the Texans have spent a lot of money the last couple of years. Uh, it's very easy to just be like, well, the owner should just sign the checks and then that's good. But the owner signs the checks and the director of the organization for all intents and purposes is basically a preacher who all players seem to dislike, but um, it, it doesn't work out for you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been really a stumping development. It's not the first time that there's been, I guess, like a, a significant um, preaching element, I guess, in the clubhouse. It seemed like it worked for the Eagles at least for a year, right? There was some sort of like everyone was actually getting along with it, but it's like a really, really potential for volatility. Um, so overall, what's what's the path forward for the Texans? Like if you were to say, if you had to make a couple moves to fix it, and they were just like, hey, you step in, you pull the trigger on a few moves. What are the things that you would do to get the ball rolling in the right direction? Okay, okay. Um, first off, I would fire Jack Easterby. That's, that's the easiest one. The first one right off the bat, the one that everybody, it's the obvious thing. Um, second, I think there needs to be a organizational wide uh, effort on developing the youth. This team signed three undrafted free agents this year with all this, all these rosters up for grabs for anybody who is good, young, who can be on a value contract. And they have completely ignored that opportunity. They have completely ignored that opportunity. They have signed a gazillion special teamers and they're Rex Burkheads and your Jeff Driscoll's and, and whatever. It's just a complete swampy Morris of a roster where you're kind of like, well, okay, and who develops to make this better? And that, you know, even the young players they have that are good are now, you know, entering the fourth year of the rookie contracts. Or, you know, in Titus Howard's case, he's he spent two years on the roster. We don't really know if he's going to be consistent yet. And are they gonna are they gonna exercise his fifth year option? I don't know. So it's, it's a spot where, yeah. Oh, you cut out. Where'd you lose me? Uh, you just, it's a spot where. Oh, a spot where even just trying to develop youth that would, you know, be a building block would be a big difference. Yeah, I definitely hear you there. I mean, this year, there definitely seems like there's a lot of uh, undrafted free agent signings, too, that'll have a chance to be uh, something. You know, you, you're hearing stuff about Jared Patterson catching the ball well in, in Washington. Uh, you know, Javian Hawkins is getting a lot of, like, you know, deep sleeper, probably false equivalency to James Robinson hype. There's a lot of guys that are, like, getting some buzz early as undrafted free agents. So to only sign three sounds like a 
dereliction of duty for sure. Although I don't want to, I don't want to make you beat that horse too much. I, I'm sure it's uh, a frustrating situation to be in as a somebody who's invested in the team. So we'll we'll switch over here to some general questions for you. Um, a, a couple of these just come from the fact that you're you you have quite a, a long resume of writing. Uh, so overall, what do you think an aspiring fantasy football writer or creator spends too much time doing? Argue with the people on Twitter. <laughs> that definitely yeah, a lot it's, of what, it's, what, it's one of my big vices too, because it's it, it, you can be part of the conversation, right? But if you come off in an angry, aggrieved way, and I don't know anything about you, my default reaction is, oh, who's this troll? <laughs> it's not like, oh man, it's time to exchange ideas or, or business cards or whatever. It's just like, this guy seems like kind of an asshole. I'm not going to listen to them. <laughs> so just, you know, I, I understand people want to be snarky and you can have a brand being snarky. That's cool. But you, you got to dial it back. You got to spend a little less time on that stuff, a little more time working and, and showing your priors and where they came from. Man, I hear you there. There's so much toxicity in the world right now that, uh, if you can interject positivity, I think in, in the frame of the question, you can still have a intense, even maybe heated argument. But uh, I think when people see the negativity, that actually just blends in with everybody else. So totally on board with that. Um, as a trend, and this is on the, more on the fantasy uh, side of it, do you find yourself more likely to react slowly to news or, or performances, like you know having a good couple of weeks or, uh, or do you react a little bit more uh, quickly to try to take advantage of the shift? So really the differentiation here is do you kind of stick with your prior evaluation of a player for a while or or do you move off of that quickly? You know, I had to spend some time on that this offseason, actually, because um, one of the leagues that I lost, I came, I came pretty close to winning uh, this last year. It, it's just a redraft league, but... Uh, after Justin Jefferson's uh, big game against the Titans, I think it was week three, I, I had this real crisis of conscience where I'm like, okay, but a lot of people who I trust have said that they're not sure about this guy. And the Vikings don't really throw that much. And, and like, I kept coming up with more and more reasons to not pick him up. And that wound up pretty much costing me the league. So uh, I think it's a thing where I'm kind of constantly evolving my position. Um, I would like to be less into my priors. <laughs> as I kind of get further into this, I realize that uh, as much good work as I do and as much good work as the people who I mainly listen to follow, you know, I want to say like cultivate their opinions, but you know, the, who, who are a big part of my, my circle, uh, I kind of have to think about that and remember that they, they are not always correct. Sure. That's a good example. I think that that, uh, the being uh, slow to jump on the Jefferson train, I think, was definitely uh, an issue for a lot of people. And I think on the flip side, you know, there were so many people that were locked into like Ragor and Edwards that there was no chance, you know, Edwards is just going to be the next Adams right away. You know, it's still too early on these guys, but you know, like there's there's that take lock uh, for sure. I know for me, like I was in denial on Edwards forever, even when he was healthy and not playing. <laughs> um, so how many leagues are you in overall? And, and what advice would you give uh, for managing a large number of leagues? Uh, I've actually cut it down a lot the last couple of years. I used to be in about 12, and now I'm closer to five. About three of those are dynasty. 
Um, I, guess, I guess I would say as far as managing <laughs> managing the workload goes, I, I tend to like kind of batch systems together about it. Like I have Excel sheets to try and, and track free agents or whatever. Um, I don't really have a ton of tips for for like you know fifty leagues. <laughs> uh, I just I just try to deal with what I had, and uh, in this case, yeah, I, I was using a lot of spreadsheets, using a lot of uh, uh, other outside sources, just copy pasting data and, and trying to fit it all together and see what I can come up with. Yeah, I'm a spreadsheet guy myself too. I think if I was in fifty leagues, I wouldn't need advice. I'd need a prescription probably, um, <laughs> but that's just. I uh, mean, I don't think I'd be staying sane if I was in that. Um, so with, you, with your writing experience, um, when you write about fantasy football, um, what's your approach on where to start your writing, where to draw ideas from, so that instead of being an echo, you're, you're creating original content? Mm. That's a great question, actually. Um, I, I think kind of the best way to go about things is I don't do a lot of deeper opinion reading of, of other people until I've actually kind of formulated the idea and then I just use them to try to bash it or, or knock it down. And there are a lot of articles that I halfway write. And then I get there and I'm like, you know, someone wrote this better already. I, I'm, I'm actually not gonna do this. Um, but I tend to find the, the best way to approach things for me is I'll, I'll, go, to, I'll go take a walk or I'll go take a shower and I'll just be thinking about these things in my head uh, and trying to bounce it together with all the other weird wacko knowledge I have from, you know, other stuff, doing speed runs, listening to music, uh, you know, other kind of hobbies I have and, and just try to find an original way to approach it by taking little segments of other things and bring them into fantasy. So I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail on the speed runs. Um, do you have any personal speed run that you are actually very, very proud of that we should know about? Um, so I actually was the world record holder for both main Final Fantasy IV categories for Super Nintendo. And I performed uh, some game, games in 2018, the, the uh, No Credit Warp speed run. So that's, that's kind of my main association. Um, as that was coming out, we kind of developed a randomizer uh, a randomizer just kind of takes, uh, let's say you start the game with Kane and Cecil normally. Well, now you're going to start with Rydia and Fusilla, like that sort of thing. And uh, I kind of developed the, the the bones behind that. Somebody else really did uh, a lot of development for me. His name is Boardface, and we created this randomizer. It's called Free Enterprise. And uh, that thing has grown exponentially over the years. We have like a 4,000-person Discord server, and uh, I'm leadership for that. I do game design for that, and it's... Uh, a constant source of joy, actually. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, I would love to stick somebody with Edward and Sid and just see them squirm. Well, I have good news. You can go to our YouTube channel, and there's definitely races like that. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that'd be one of the worst startups is to have those two as your, your first two guys, for sure. Um, so how long uh, have you been playing Dynasty football? I have been playing Dynasty football probably since 2000. 2002 around there i did a lot of the stuff in high school i was in one league that did like baseball football basketball at the same time shots uh my football outsiders honcho guy uh runs another one of those that kind of went on hiatus because of the covid but hopefully that'll get back soon and uh a lot of time in, in like those really really 
convoluted leagues uh, where you have like 30 roster spots or whatever, and everybody's just dying for the deepest thing they can find. Oh gosh, I love those. My so my my home league was a uh, it's a 25 roster plus seven taxi, and we only start six non quarterbacks. Like we only have that few starters, so it's like you have this deep deep rosters, and the guys aren't worth anything. It was just convoluted, you know, like a first time league where that's how we set it up and keep it. So there's a lot of fun in being in those weird leagues. What would you say is your favorite format? Like if you have like a dream format that you've never been able to be in and would like to, or just one that you've been in enough and you think it's the best, pitch us on the best format. Okay, listen, um, it's got to be multiple quarterback at this point. Multiple quarterback and, you know, 10, 12 teams. I'm just beyond tired, and I'm and I'm guilty of this too because I write about it. Like I'm beyond tired of seeing these leagues where I'm gonna pick up Matt Ryan League Two, and uh, and he's gonna outscore by your I picked up Ryan Fitzpatrick for Week 16. He scored a bazillion points against the Jets, and guess what? I won the league. Like it's quarterback just becomes such a position of annoyance for me, and having having the two quarterback leagues makes it so that it's a little bit more of a level playing field, a little bit less of a waiver wire rush every week and just bring some fun to it. Cause otherwise I, I just feel like there's really no incentive to try to nail the picks for the, for the position at all. You're just trying for the highest upside. And then when it fails on to the next one. Yeah. With, with that, that two quarterback or super flex versus one quarterback, do you feel like we still haven't quite reached a sweet spot when it comes to either quarterbacks being worth too much or too little I've definitely heard some discussion about trying to maybe find a spot that even levels it further versus the, just the extreme gap in value for the two leagues. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're coming closer to that. Um, I would like to see maybe a little more emphasis on the quarterback rushing stats. I think that would be interesting. Uh, I haven't really figured out a way to weight that in a way that's truly perfect to me, but, but like playing with that, that is, is sort of a fascination right now. Oh, like a quarterback rushing premium league. Maybe it's where the rushing stats are worth 50% more or something like that. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. Um, do you commission, are you the commissioner in any of the leagues or, or host any where you do like something unique to get engagement? No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. What I have learned over the years is I have a very limited space in my brain for anything that relies on, on, on cooperation with other people. Um, like I can do that, but I've also, I've, you know, I'm running this free enterprise stuff. Um, uh, I've tried doing podcasts before where I have, you know, people booked every week or, and I have to deal with a co-host and all that stuff. And, and just like my brain really needs to have certainties that only it can control <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better word. So, so commissioning, it, it sounds fun, but, but then when you're actually doing all the work and you know, it's, Saturday at 3 p.m. and you're looking outside like where'd today go? Uh, that's that's a spot where I don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, you've got enough on your plate for sure with all the different things uh, you've got going on. Now, going back a little bit to your uh, your beat writer time and and all the time you spent with that, um, has that history changed the way you approach fantasy football? Has it ever influenced a decision you made in fantasy football? Actually, not really. Um, I mean, I mean, there's definitely 
one, one thing that I spent a lot of time on and one thing that you'll see if you, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that I post a lot of press conference stuff. Um, I actually find that people underrate those now. I think people look at, look at one quote because nobody, nobody has time to read all this stuff. Nobody has time to immerse in all this stuff. Like it's, it's like a one sentence takeaway and they run with it. And I guess I feel like the big advantage right now that you have is kind of actually, if you have the time to dive that stuff, kind of, kind of soak in it. And that way it's not just, you know, you're not, you're not aggregating it. It's not like a out of context little blurb about, uh, well, this guy's going to be the main running back if this happens. Well, yeah, but, but also what the, what the running back coach said there was that, uh, that's probably not going to happen. It's <laughs> point. Sure. <laughs> sure. Like, you know, like kneecaps are in danger in Detroit, you know, that's what they grabbed from a headline. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, so with, with dynasty leagues and cause you've had at least a lot of experience, just especially with the time, um, what are some of the main Cardinal sins that you have observed, uh, in dynasty leagues? I feel like, um, in auction leagues, in dynasty auction leagues in, in particular, people are always very skittish at the jump. Um, they always, they're always like, oh, well, I mean, this is really early. I don't want to spend that much on this one player. And then, you know, 20 nominations later, a guy who's worse than that goes for more money. I feel like people come out of those, come out of the gates on those very slow. Um, I guess I would say that right now, a lot of the questions that I feel from like friends, when they, when they you know, deem me worthy of answering uh, their, their fantasy stuff. It, it tends to be, well, I want to trade Dalvin Cook for, for these three guys because my team is young. And I'm like, well, your team being young doesn't really matter. Dalvin Cook's really good. What if you just kept him? <laughs> what, what if, because people try to assume his identity of like, I want to have the best youngest team ever. Just, just try to build the best team you can and let some parts be young. And if some parts are old, that's fine you don't have to go reinvent the wheel to make the best of the best ever. Right. Right. Like if you've got a good young team, don't fret about Darren Waller's age, you know, right, just right. Like ride the tight end points, you know, who cares if he's going to be 30 and not too long. Um, oh no, I've got Brady. Oh no, this is the worst thing ever. Right. It's okay. <laughs> um, so on that same line, cause I like that. Um, if when you get, I'm sure you get newbie questions, but what's the, uh, main piece of advice that you maybe try to sneak into every newbie that's like starting up in dynasty? Um, I guess, I guess generally over the past couple of years, it's been pay attention to the running back catches because there's, there's, there's still a segment of people who are like, well, you know, I'm sorting my rushing yards and uh, <laughs> I'm showing my rushing touchdowns and Jordan Howard looks really good. Yeah. Okay. But, opportunity matters, that sort of thing. And and I think newbies tend to get caught up in what they can manipulate with their little mouse and not so much the grander total of the player's value. Yeah, for sure. Like I definitely see a lot of them going for like last year's stats and sometimes overvaluing a pretty old running back because they had good numbers last year when they should have read the writing on the wall. Like Jordan Howard is one of the key guys there for sure. Um, Another question, actually, back on the writing side of it, um, a lot of people that are in, you know, in discords and channels like this, they they do their own writing a little bit here and there. Um, like I put together a silly uh, Reddit post on rookie startup value, or uh, sorry, rookie values. 
Um, what would suggestions would you give to somebody who wants to start getting into writing uh, for fantasy or dynasty or, or is already writing and trying to break through to a larger audience? So this is one that I wish I had told myself a long time ago. And it's one that I still don't follow as much as I should because I get locked in my own head. But don't be afraid to talk to other writers. Don't be afraid to send them your work. Uh, I know it comes off as kind of like scammy feeling or, or whatever if you're if like you're asking for favors or begging for, for clicks or, or whatever. But if you have somebody you respect and you have kind of you kind of build a relationship with them and you, you, you build it up and then you have time to just say, okay, if you got a minute, read this. And a lot of us are so busy with kind of what we're doing that the, the, like, you know, we, we don't have time to scour the internet for the best of everything anymore. That whole thing has gone away. It, it's all become immediate news all the time. The RSS feed is, feed is dead in the water or whatever. Um, so, yeah. you know, we're not, we, we're not doing as much research as we could be. And you do us a favor when you link us something like that or bring that to our attention. You know, and I can actually testify to that. I, when I did my, my 2021 rookie rankings, I did like a, a super flex and a one quarterback list. And I like kicked it out to, you know, bean counter analytics, of dynasty, Peter Howard, uh, McDowell, Stephanie Smalls. I actually got a lot of replies where they're like, you know what? I was looking for something like this. I'm totally going to just use it and change it to my own thing. But this is like, two spreadsheets that like cut down an hour and a half of my work. So I, I definitely agree. Like if I'm, I'm a nobody, I'm still nobody. I'm going to, I'm content staying a nobody, but, but people that are like, got a good following, they actually appreciate that from my experience. So yeah, uh, just, I can testify that that's a good way to get some conversations started. Um, yeah, I have one guy, I have, I have one guy in my mentions lately. I'm sorry, my, my, my direct messages, who's really young, who's been, you know, sending me things like, Hey, uh, how did you know that you wanted to do this? Uh, what, what, what do you want to do? I don't really have a lot to offer. All I have is like a, a high school diploma and nobody really cares about that anymore. As far like, like you, you to me, if you told me right now that you had not only had a high school diploma, I don't care. You're providing a good conversation. You've got a good platform here. We're having a fun talk. Everybody's, you know, enjoying it. It doesn't matter who you are anymore. It just matters what you, what value you bring beyond that to me or to anybody else. And I know that sounds really transactional, but like if you're young, you're just trying to come up, what you are to a lot of people is what you provide to them. And the sooner you get that through your head, the less, the less about you it actually is, the, the, kind of, the kind of, you know, easier this will be for you. Yeah, like so much of life can be boiled down to if you can make someone else's life better, they will probably watch you around for it. Right. Yeah. And this guy is, you know, he's telling me, well, I don't have anything to offer you. Well, okay. You say that, but how do I know that? You haven't written me anything. You haven't sent me anything. If you interacted with me, like day-to-day -day basis, send me DMs all the time and you know, that it's good stuff. Then you might be providing me value for all, you know, <laughs> so right. just get over, get over that inner hump and, and just be like, okay, this is somebody who I want to talk to. This is somebody who I vibe with. I'm just gonna send them some good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, definitely feel that. Um, so we're going to have some recency-based questions here. Uh, the big one that I think has probably been a lot of people's mind ever since just a couple days ago, uh, but I want your take here is, 
who are, who are the winners and losers in the Julio Jones trade? Uh, the loser is my Football Outsiders chapter, which uh, is going to have to be completely scrapped from the ground after I finish on Friday. Thanks a lot, Titans. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I think that Julio Jones is a pretty big winner in this. I think Ryan Tannehill is a pretty big winner in this. Um, I have still some skepticism about the way that Todd Downing is going to change things for the Titans. I, I really believe a lot that Arvor Smith was just like head and shoulders, a great offensive coordinator. But having said that, the talent level on that offense right now between Henry Jones and, uh, and AJ Brown is so ridiculous that it's hard to really pick against them and playing against the Texans Jaguars defenses four times a year. Whoo. Ooh, that is really nice. <laughs> is on that same vein, is that a good reason to think that uh, Jonathan Taylor could be a top three running back this year? That schedule, those defenses? No, I, I have a little hesitation with that. And it's not because of anything that Taylor is or isn't, but because I think the Frank Wright Colts have tended to be very conservative with their split playing time splits. I think they, they want to get everybody involved. If you listen to them talk, and I have recently a lot for writing their chapter for Football Outsiders Almanac, like they, they just beat that drum beat, you know? They're, they're, they're going all in on, on spreading the Marcel Wentz wants to spread the ball around. Frank Reich wants to spend the, spread the ball around. And yeah, I mean, I, I think Taylor is amazing. I think he's obviously one of the five best running backs right now. Am I going to say they're going to finish top five? I don't know. That really depends on how they want to split that time. It seemed like down the stretch, they really upped his workload. Do you think um, like an organization like that, because you followed them quite a bit just from your coverage, do you think like a playoff run seems to impact them to stop spreading the ball around as much? Because I mean, Taylor like dominated the touches like the last six or so weeks of the year. Obviously, um, you know, Hines was still healthy. Um, Wilkins was still healthy, but something changed. Was it just hot hand or is that something you maybe have detected that Reich maybe has a change of strategy at that point? Yeah, I think they they realized that that was so much better than everything else. And, you know, the Colts weren't actually, you know, secretly, they, they weren't that good last year. Like they they got to the playoffs, yeah. But their DVO was like right with the Texans, basically. It was pretty close. So they had, they won a lot of close games. They had a really easy schedule. And uh, I think between using using Taylor as their kind of closing back for, for those situations because Marlon Mack was hurt, that kind of helped boost his workload as well for some of those closer games. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so looking at the 2021 rookie class, there's obviously the guys that are at the top that are like everybody is debating. Um, who would be like your plant your flag guy that isn't necessarily like a top eight, top nine guy? Oh, okay. <sighs> who, who are we considering a top eight, top nine guy? Like what kind of draft are we doing here? Sure, sure. Let's let's call it like a, a one QB top eight top nine so uh the obvious three receivers off the board say uh the three running backs off pits law off the board let's just say that the three running backs pits the three receivers and and uh trevor lawrence off the board 
trailing. That's easy, easy for me. Is that for you? Is it more landing spot or that his range of outcomes is so wide you could strike like Hall of Fame gold? I think that the the segment that that kind of sees him as sketchy in some ways because of the the, the status of, of playing for North Dakota um, for not playing a lot last year. I understand where that's coming from, but I think if you actually watch him play, if you actually you know listen to the people who who break down all this tape, that I think he's he's actually a, a better prospect than people give him credit for. Um, I would have taken the number two overall pretty easily in this draft, uh, just on a non-fantasy level. And, and, you know, you pair him with Shanahan, who <laughs> even if, he, I feel like even if he's, you know, uh, has, a, has a rough acclimation period, like, I think that Shanahan's going to disguise a lot of that, as he does with Garoppolo and as he's done with a lot of quarterbacks, really, going back to Matt Schaub with the Texans here and, and you know, Andre Johnson getting open deep and Schaub just having like all day to throw it to him. But I really do, I really do think highly of both that system, that that coach, as far as providing offense and Lance's talent. I think. Yeah, you look at you look at that offense, and I think there are so many pieces there. It's a it's a good place to start. Um, I sort of feel like in a very small way. Um, it bailed out Favre when he came to the Packers to have a guy like Sterling Sharp, right? And in, in this case, it's so much more surrounding talent that I think uh, that really gives Lance a lot of options and, and a lot of versatility where he doesn't have to be good at everything. As long as he can master a couple of things to go, I think can, they can work with that. So I, I'm with you there. I like that. Um, another Another 2021 rookie question. Uh, this one's coming from uh, our user Adam. He he wants to know how do you feel about Nico Collins? Um, and and I can just uh, add in here. He is like talked about a lot in our Discord as like one of the the sexy late picks because he's he's a big and fast guy. So what do you think about Nico? Um, I haven't done all the tape work on that that I want to do because I've kind of been digging the FOA stuff right now. We're trying to get the book out earlier this year. So we're looking to get it in July instead of like August. Um, so I've been doing a lot more of that lately than I've been studying Nico Collins, like which stuff, but basically where I'm at with him on a grander level, like not a, not a super detail level is I think the speed is, is a little bit overrated. I think he's kind of, he kind of is a, a late burster. So I think he fits more as like a chain moving, uh, maybe Jermaine curse kind of guy. I'm not saying that he's, Jermaine curse level good but just like I think that's kind of his archetype of player and I I think that the Texans have a lot of reasons to want to push him and they also have a lack of players with his size so that's really interesting to me short term and then I look up how they treated all the rookies last year and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> poor Nico Collins. This is not going to work out for him, is it? So uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of really torn on, on what his Yeah, no, I hear that. Um do you feel like he's doomed to the same sort of treatment that Kiki Cootie got? It seemed like they either loved him or hated him, like they 
felt like they were crucifying him over every mistake. Like it wasn't a good atmosphere for him. Yeah. Um, Kiki definitely got the raw, the raw stick sometimes with uh, Bill O'Brien's doghouse. Um, I don't know that I would consider what happened to QT quite transferable to Nico because different coach, different staff, um, Kind of, kind of a different mindset from from the entire organization at this point, but I definitely understand why that would make somebody skittish, and I do think Kuti uh, was just hosed by this organization as far as bringing on Randall Cobb to take his spot before he could even do anything. Like it, it was a bad situation. Yeah, I feel like just like as a amateur, you know, fan game watcher. I saw enough positive out of Cootie that I was surprised that they pretty much just had him on a extremely short leash. We only care about winning. We don't care about if you develop or get play time. Um, moving off that though, uh, taking a little bit of a step back in the 2020 rookie class, which was like an amazing fantasy football dynasty rookie class. I've got like a two part question for you. Um, out of the players that didn't really seem to break out in the 2020 rookie class, who do you think still will? And then the the follow-up is, of the players who seemed like they did break out, is there one you think is actually fool's gold? Man, that's that's a really detailed, deep dive sort of question, isn't it? Um, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, because I've seen, I saw somebody in, in the, the AMA channel here post who my deep sleeper is like like 15 round deep sleeper i am a humongous adam troutman fan and i know that every year there's a tight end where we we always you know want to stockpile them but i think the saints really have a good good uh understanding of how to get guys like that open i think he showed in his limited snaps last year that uh he can play and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does, even with Taysom Hill, even with Jameis Winston. Like, I really think he can he can actually become a, a easy tight end one at some point. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, sort of tight end uh, sleeper. I think a lot, a lot of people that grab tight ends, you know, have that mentality. It's going to take a year or two. And he's one that somebody might be willing to dump really cheap, but not a bad uh, snag for a stash for sure. Um as far as somebody who like did really well last year, who might not quite be that good, I'm still a little skeptical of Cam Akers. I think the opportunity is, is absolutely there, um, but I kind of feel like what he did last year, uh, as far as being being RB one, being whatever, like that offense really provides a lot of uh, help to him, and. They might be throwing more now, now that the, the now that Jared Goff is gone, and they don't have to be quite as aggressive in that way. So I'm I'm a little bearish on that compared to some people. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that, and there's always the possibility that you know Henderson gets a bit more work again. I mean, he didn't look bad the touches he got overall. Um, so I think that catches us up to the questions we have, and I had a few more. Um, I want to zag back to speed runs really quick because I know they're a passion of yours. For okay. somebody who's not into speed runs, um, but would like to check them out, 
what would you say? What what would be like the Google search to make to like get somebody hooked on speed runs? I think the best way to kind of introduce yourself would be to go to twitch.tv slash games done quick. Um, they hold the biggest marathons in, in kind of the, the hobby, I would say. Um, they also do a lot of little random streams now. Like I think at this moment they're doing speed run, speed run training for some obscure game I've never heard of about SpongeBob. <laughs> it's like they, they, they're all over the place now and there's a lot of cool concepts, a lot of cool routing, teaching sort of things. So I, I think they do a great job of kind of setting the table and then individual communities from there kind of pick it up and run with it. Love it, love it. Now I have a little bit of history of speed runs from forever ago. I actually won a Nintendo Power competition uh, for the Battle of Hoth stage of Shadows of the Empire. I had the fastest finish uh, for their competition. Obviously way, way back in the day, OG, that game wasn't, that game was amazing at the time, but it hasn't aged well. But uh, definitely have some love for the speedrunners. I, I always like to go back and see who's doing what. It was you? You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, was... I, I, never tried, I never tried to speedrun that game, but it is a lot of fun. Yeah, I can confirm that. The fun thing on that one was you could actually uh, uh, laser down an AT-AT before it was on your screen because the uh, hitbox was actually extended further than the visibility window. And a lot of people didn't know that. And I think that was the key to me getting that one. So um, totally different uh, sort of conversation for sure with the gaming aspect. But I wanna ask one that actually tries to tie it all together. Um, with gaming and, and uh, RPGs, is there any aspect of it that you feel has actually tied into how you value things? in fantasy football because there's a lot of optimization both in speed running and how you build like a uh, role-playing game roster uh is there is there anything that you think you could say hey this these really two relate a lot i think actually it's been more helpful for me as far as understanding real football um i think kind of trying to understand all the different levels of concepts and why you would do something uh, in speedrunning and kind of trying to slowly take your time back in a certain fight or, or slowly adapting your strategy gives me a lot more uh, close vibes to, well, this run play hasn't been working, but today we're going to pull the tight end or we're, we're going to try something a little different and bring in a sixth lineman. Like, I think it has a lot of applications to real world football first. Um, I think kind of fantasy is an interesting transition because fantasy, I think you're looking at things from a more elevated perspective. Even, even you guys who dig deep into it, I think you have to admit that like a lot of what fantasy becomes uh, starts at a very uh, low level of, of uh, needing to know about football <laughs> compared to like the speed runs, the, the actual NFL play calls and all that stuff. Love it. Love it. Um, who is your favorite uh, video game villain and why is it Ultros? Uh, my favorite video game villain is Shadow Barkley from Charles Barkley, Shut Up and Game Biden. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Do you want to just give people a little bit of a, an idea of what that game was too, just for fun? Because I know that's a an obscure one that a lot of people don't know. So 
Charles, uh, Barclay Shepard and Jam Gaiden is like a RPG demake uh, using a bunch of graphics from different games by a independent company that completely fell off the map, uh, promised a second game, uh, is one of the original uh, Kickstarter villains, like never delivered anything. But the game itself is is wildly creative, wildly silly. Uh, you're fighting Michael Jordan, you know, in, it's graphics from Windy City and uh, the original Barkley Shut Up and Jam for Barkley Sprites and and... It's like an RPG, but also just mixed with so many obscure, wacky pop culture things that it just works somehow. And I also play that. I've also speedrun that game at Marathon, so I'm I'm very familiar with it. (laughs) That's awesome. You definitely seem to appreciate humor in video games, which is why I made the Ultros reference, because I think he was one of the uh, early super funny characters as well, just with uh, all of his escapades in Final Fantasy VI. Um, It looks like we are up on the question so i just wanted to give a couple quick plugs uh, where where are the places we can find you the most now uh, i think probably far and away the, the most important part is twitter uh at rivers mccallan mccwn uh no dashes no nothing like that um that's where i spend a lot of my time as far as sending out what i create as far as interacting with people um I don't really have, I have a, I have a website, riversmaccount.com, which is, uh, it's been pretty quiet lately, but generally is text and stuff. Um, I try to cover them on that side more than anywhere else. And the rest of my stuff is mainly freelance right now. And it's been, been pretty good for a couple of years. Awesome. And the last question I'll hit you, uh, any new release video games that, that people might not have heard of that you'd strongly encourage them to try? Hmm. New released. Uh, like last <laughs> last three or four years, we'll say. Untitled Goose. Untitled Goose Game. Yep. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming. This was a fun conversation, just because uh, I can really appreciate the uh, Final Fantasy and the speedrunning sort of mentality. Uh, definitely, we'll be following to see if uh, any. Uh, you know, hidden prayer meeting videos come out uh, of Jack Easterby. If uh, if that happens, you know, definitely, you know, clue us in right away. But I uh, really appreciate having you, man. It's been fun. Yeah, I can't wait to go viral for another really stupid thing. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me. <laughs>